superstructure patrons this is max here with some premium content for you all to listen to and explore so today i wanted to offer a little bit of a reading for you all of theodore adorno's negative dialectics and specifically his metaphysical reflections in the last chapter and the reason why I thought it could be interesting to do this sort of episode is because I think there's real relevance here to what money becomes for the German philosophical tradition. And I think one way of spelling this out would be on the terms of universal equivalence, which I think we, we all sort of understand at least in theory, is the sort of orthodox definition of money, right? It is a money in the MMT world, as, as money is a uni as a unit of account. And as this unit of account, right, it makes equivalences between things, commodities, people, according to this universal numerical structure. Now, I would want to actually destabilize this because this is a, actually a profoundly orthodox account that posits things as prior to money, right? As coming into being outside of money's productive provisioning systemic structure and then money attempting to represent them, right? In this sort of numerical mediation after the fact. And there are many ways, I think, to get at that, and that's not necessarily what I want to focus today's conversation or, or this episode on. But I just want to offer that, because I think when we think through the lens of money, not as universal equivalence, but as an analogy for governance, right? As the, the, the government is the price setter, to use uh, Warren Mosler's sort of quip. Um, we can think about the way money is functioning and price is functioning, not along these terms, along the Marxist terms of mediating the distribution and exchange of commodities, but in a more, in, in a sense of a, of more of a matrix of governing responsibility and agency and productive agency at different levers of society at different scales of society in different nodes of power and agency and so i wanted to offer that reflection at the beginning before we dove into this just to situate this discussion philosophically within our money on the left and superstructure project and now that i've done that though i do want to talk a little bit about who theodore adorno is right so for some of those of you who don't know Theodore W. Dorno is largely seen as one of the, the heads of the, the Frankfurt School movement, um, the, the social research um, enterprise of the 20th century that, uh, you know, came out of Frankfurt, of course, with the likes of Max Horkheimer and others who were loosely involved, like Walter Benjamin. This is the sort of foundation of critical theory, right, of, of this sort of dialectical critical thought that it largely is the sort of flowering of the German philosophical tradition in 
a sort of Western Marxist context. And yeah, and, and this text that I'm reading from was ultimately written and published in the 60s, a few years before um, Adorno's death. And I think largely represents the most thoroughly flushed out work of Adorno's metaphysics and where he is situated philosophically in relation to those of like Hegel and, and Nietzsche and others. And so before we dig right in, um, I did want to break down the work that I'm going to be reading from this chapter into its five sections. And so uh, the first is After Auschwitz, the second Metaphysics and Culture, third dying today where we get into a lot of heidegger stuff the fourth is happiness and idle waiting and then the fifth is nihilism which will be an interesting endpoint for us to think about especially when we're thinking about mmt and how mmt i think largely functions as a way to get us outside of a nihilist structure so to begin then in the section after auschwitz Adorno begins his argument with a declaration that Hegel's dialectic, or at least a certain stage of its movement, has been muted by the events of the Holocaust. Adorno writes, We cannot say any more that the immutable is truth, that the mobile transitory is appearance. In the sense, he's essentially articulating that we can't just simply say the base is truth and the transitory superstructure is appearance, even though he wouldn't put it in those terms. And Hegel didn't exactly put it in those terms, even though Marx later did. So in Adorno's schema, what this creates, right, this destabilization of base superstructure, if you wanted to call it, is a rejection of positivity, of practice in general. So this section is called after Auschwitz in large part because Adorno saw the Holocaust as essentially the culmination of the accelerating or progressive nature of the dialectical movement, the various sublations of conflict, a movement whereby antagonisms of all shapes were meant to be resolved in a Hegelian progression of history. So in contrast, Adorno's negative dialectic centers thinking, what one could call the double hesitation of thought or doubt as the only ethical post-Holocaust metaphysical mode. Reading again from the text, after Auschwitz, our feelings resist any claim of the positivity of existence as sanctimonious, as wronging the victims. They balk at squeezing any kind of sense, however bleached, out of the victim's fate. In other words, There is no longer any chance for a reconciliation of the dialectic because, for Adorno, identity in the Hegelian sense manifests in the liquidation of difference by the positing of dialectical unity in the form of equivalence, in the uh, the form of the equivalence between positivity, the material world, and negativity, the realm of ideas. One could call this the concept of concrete universality and was what I was referencing earlier on when we talking about universal equivalence of money, because what Adorno is essentially saying is that money as a function of this sort of universal equivalence is precisely the liquidation of difference that was enacted in the Holocaust, right? Money 
it is a is the logics of fascism but in a more universalized sense of essentially post-war capitalism so what he says then is this positing of identity is not adequate in the in the post-war moment as adorno claims reading from the text again our metaphysical faculty is paralyzed because actual events have shattered the basis on which speculative metaphysical thought could be reconciled with experience. So this gives rise to the potential for what he might call an absolute negativity, or put in other terms, the non-identity of materiality and ideas, right? This equivocation, they're not equivalent. Um, Adorno insists on this conceptual affirmation of the negative because he sees Hegelian identity, again, as this Holocaust concept, right? He writes, genocide is the absolute integration, meaning unity, right? This integration of experience with thought, with ideas. So, on philosophical terms, this leads to a little bit of a problem, as Adorno was already quite aware of. It positions one's own existence, one's own identity, right, self-consciousness, on the terms of genocidal identity within which existence is already implicated in a participation in the dialectical problem. So where Derrida might relish in the slippage of this sort of always, always already implicated, Adorno laments what he sees as the sort of insurmountable guilt associated with this existence. Quoting from him again, the guilt of a life which purely as a fact will strangle other life. This is a, a very keen zero-sum articulation of guilt here. And this is, again, why... I am so interested in this text in the relationship between a non-zero-sum sense of money, right? Because we, we have here existence being imagined as zero-sum on the terms of philosophical identity. And for what it's worth, I, I agree that that is how Hegel's structure works. Um, so Adorno is right about this, even though he can't see beyond it. So moving then, this guilt of participation is what implores the philosopher on Adorno's reading. Notably, this negative dialectics, what he calls a, a categorical imperative of Holocaust guilt, is clearly a response to Heidegger. Both his concept of Schuld, guilt or debt in German, and his participation in the Nazi regime. Now, debt is a really interesting one here, because again, we miscredit in this structure. It's just guilt. It's just debt. Um, and it's worth noting that Adorno uses the same word, Schuld, as Heidegger in the German, which is no surprise, as Adorno largely developed his negative dialectics, out of a series of lectures on or against Heidegger, which are titled simply Ontology and Dialectics. So what Adorno comes to is that the only way to reckon with this guilt associated with the Hegelian self-consciousness, with one's own identity, is the negation of the self as existent in a world through thinking, what he calls thinking against itself. This is Adorno's response to his articulation of a Kantian categorical imperative, which, you know, he argues Hitler inaugurated. So we're sort of arguing on the terms of the Nazis here, which 
amounts to his response to the demand of never again, which is, is a very keen and interesting way of situating his work and his metaphysics historically, which then leads to his metaphysics and culture section. So in this section, Adorno structures his argument along the terms of a similar guilt, Schuld, but in this articulation, specifically on the terms of culture. So in a broader sense, this means recapitulating he and Max Horkheimer's culture industry argument from the dialectic of enlightenment, which was a book he wrote immediately in the post-war era, right? Perhaps one could also think of this, that there are components of this in Adorno's aesthetic theory, which amounts to his sort of theoretical work on aesthetics in general. And from that perspective, right, bourgeois culture is not longer that of the 19th century, right? So we're in the post-war moment where Adorno sort of articulated of the 19th century, the likes of Beethoven could play out some semblance of this universal subjectivity, this universal identity of experience through the imminence of form, right? Think Beethoven's symphonies as this sort of perfect pure imminence of form. However, like that of the culture industry, right? This sort of capitalist hellscape of a cinematic world, Adorno argues that metaphysics has slipped into material questions of existence. In doing so, he argues that metaphysics itself becomes similarly implicated in the guilt of existence that culture played out in the lead up to an aftermath of the Holocaust, of a positivity that was always already furthering the genocidal dialectic premised on the identity of experience and thought. Adorno even argues, in line with Derrida, that silence doesn't get us out of this circle, circularity again being a Heideggerian concept. Quoting Adorno, in silence we simply use the state of objective truth to rationalize our subjective incapacity, once more degrading truth into lie. So this leads to, I think, the point in which Adorno takes on Heidegger in, its mo in the most specific way in this chapter, which is titled Dying Today, this section. So this leads Adorno to a place of radical questioning because of his always already guilt, right? So he extends this questioning into this critique of Heidegger, this time Heidegger's concept of being toward death, right? The sense of death as the ground of being. So quoting from the text, not even the experience of death suffices as the ultimate and undoubted. Adorno conclu concludes, quite convincingly, if I might add, that variation in death, right? The chance that death will come from the outside, right? From the Nazis even, undermines its claim to a univocal ground. Quoting from the text, the statement that death is always the same is as abstract as it is untrue. The manner of people's coming to terms with death varies all the way into their physical side, along with the concrete conditions of their dying. In a way that most certainly recalls Parmenides' famous quip that nothing comes from nothing, Adorno claims that death mustn't be the last thing. For to think death is to think of something. And if death were the last, so Adorno claims, quote, everything is nothing. All that we think, too, is thought into the void. None of it is truly thinkable. 
Therefore, in a slurry of argumentation that I'm sort of still wrapping my head around, Adorno seems to argue that the positing of death in the Heideggerian sense as the universal experience leads to a positivism disguised as imminent negativity. Death is posited as the negative of experience, and as such, only really offers positive experience as its something from which nothing comes. Which ends up being a positivism that denies metaphysics as such, even as it is metaphysical all the while. Quoting Adorno, the advocates of metaphysics argue in unison with the pragmatism they hold in contempt, with the pragmatism that dissolves metaphysics a priori. So, this leads to the happiness and idle waiting section, which I have to admit, I find the least interesting out of all of them. But, what he sort of asks in this section is, what is a metaphysical experience then? If we're left with all of these, if death can't even get us there, right? What is a metaphysical experience? And so, I sort of want to quote Adorno in detail here in lieu of wanton speculation. So he writes, Nothing could be experienced as truly alive if something that transcends life were not promised also. No straining of the concept leads beyond that. The transcendent is, and it is not. We despair of what is, and our despair spreads to the transcendental ideas that used to call a halt to despair. And so what I gather from this is the transcendent is precisely this bleeding of despair into idea, a sense of critique as transcendent without application, with no practice, a sort of transcendent pleading for despair to end without the actualization of an ending or a feeding of the movement of despair which, as you might not be surprised about, leads to this section on, quote, nihilism, right? So he has this in square, scare quotes. And so it, this section offers a lot to chew on, including more critiques of Hegel and also Nietzsche. However, I kind of want to focus on Adorno, a concept that Adorno affirms, which is a medieval definition of nothingness as nihil privativium, or privativum, excuse me, or nothingness as the negation of something rather than nothingness as something. The reason why Adorno makes this delineation of terms is that he seems to want to distinguish himself from the very nihilists that wish to conjure positivity out of negativity, which certainly recalls a Heideggerian schema of death-defining experience, right? The, the universal experience. One might call this nihilism pessimism in the thinking of today, right? There's lots of talk of pessimism in academia, including Afro-pessimism. And so in this last section, Adorno critiques this conjuring in the name of a nothingness and offers instead negation of a something in, in place. And so referencing the work of the novelist and playwright Samuel Beckett, as well as the history of Gnosticism, right, which is the the, the negation, the, the nothing, negation of the world. Adorno writes, such nihilism implies the contrary of identification with nothingness. To Beckett, as to the Gnostics, the created world is radically evil, 
and its negation is a chance of another world that is not yet. Right, so we get this sense of positivity out of negativity, which is what Adorno is critiquing. He continues, the true nihilists are the ones who oppose nihilism with their more and more faded positivities. The ones who are thus conspiring with all extant malice and eventually with the destructive principle itself. Thought honors itself by defending what is damned as nihilism. So rather than say no to the world, Adorno defends that which is damned in despair until his final breath. In this way, we can see negative dialectics as a sort of threshold that isn't quite inhabitable or practicable, which seems to me like precisely the posture Adorno aimed to make thinkable. So, with that said, I wanted to then offer, perhaps just shortly at the end, a counter vision, right? That maybe keeps with the spirit of what Adorno is trying to articulate. I personally agree with Adorno about Hegelian identity. It's premised on zero-sum terms, and all it can offer is the subsumption of difference by universality, right? By this single voice. So thinking with analogy here, we can think about the way the sort of cascading mess of this sort of triangulized governance where there are three things, right? And there are there's agency distributed throughout this structure of money creation and of pricing. We can think beyond univocal identity and beyond this affirmation, right, of this reconciliation of right this need to reconcile consciousness with existence right self and other and think about the way they are mutually constituted but not reducible to one another and getting out of this zero sum like breaking free from the zero sum vision of existence as the strangling of another life we can think about inclusion and monetary provisioning and mediation in compatious caretaking terms on terms that afford space rather than provision scarcity. And thinking philosophically, then, we can honor Adorno's plea to defend the world right, to, to defend existence and the transcendence of thought, of what one could say, that the superstructure, right, of ideas as manifested, right, as practiced, not as practiced dialectically in this sense of conflict and force, but as practiced analogically in a way of, of provisioning new spaces and affording difference on terms that aren't univocal difference, right? I am different from you, you are, you are different than me, but we're not totally different. I am different than the plants which we so desperately need to help remediate the environment that we share with them. 
but we are still and yet not totally different. And this analogical structure then allows us to locate the agency that then can cultivate the affordance of such difference in ways that don't annihilate it in the name of univocal concrete universality or subjectivity. And so I guess I suppose to leave you there with that, I hope you got something out of this. I think this was probably not meant to be a sort of a treatise that encompasses everything, but I hope you could see how maybe learning and reading this sort of philosophy from this perspective can be a worthwhile endeavor. So with that, I'll say thanks for listening and we'll see you online.